guys, welcome back to another week of Money in the Bank. I'm your host, Angie, and as always, I have with me, Brett. Hey, guys. How's it going this week, Brett? Pretty good. How are you? Pretty good. Um, actually, I'm a little brain dead. Um, it's funny because we've been releasing episodes, you know, in real time, but we've actually taken like a month off. Right. And um, why was that? I had a big exam. Yep. So, yeah, Angela's an actuary uh, by profession, and she crams for these exams for like eight months at a time and so leading up to that exam it's like really really crunch time so it's you know challenging to be around uh, (laughs) during that situation she gets really hangry all the uh, you know so brett's actually coped very well because he understands that if he just fuels me with cupcake and lasagna then i'm fine Absolutely fine. Um, but it, you actually got off easy because you've been traveling a lot for work. I have, yeah. I've been back in Chicago for, you know, on and off um, for a new project I'm working on. So that's been fun. So yeah, surprisingly, podcasting is not our day job. Uh, so we have other things that we do, which is kind of a bummer. But it's, it, so it's actually been good. You know, we've re- been releasing episodes, but this is, we're back at it. So we're a little rusty. So bear with us. But I'm really excited about this week's episode. Um, We've actually been getting way more listener interaction, which is literally my favorite thing. It makes me so happy to hear from everybody. Yeah, Um, we really appreciate all the questions you guys are sending in and the back and forth and the conversations. And, you know, we especially appreciate you telling us about your situations and your personal life and, you know, asking for, you know, certain solutions and how to work through some things. Um, Yeah, we, we find that valuable that you trust us to be able to support you. And we really love hearing those stories as well. Yeah. So that's been, like, really awesome. I feel like we're making it, like, we're making a good name for ourselves in the podcast world when we get to help people. I don't know. That's, it's, it's been really, really incredible. Um, and I'm really grateful for everybody who has reached out to us, and I really hope that continues. So kind of in sticking with that, I'm going to follow that, kind of some of the questions I've been getting, and we're just going to go back to the basics and do, like, a vocabulary session today. Because I think 50. Yeah. Do you want to talk about this? The oh, yes. Okay, so Brett just reminded me of something, and I want to talk about it before we get into this week's podcast. So um, we're approaching our 50th episode. I believe the one we're recording now will be 40, but we want to do a big giveaway for our 50th. So we're going to start doing this now, and basically if you tell a friend in any way, because we don't like social media and we don't have iPhones... So you don't have to leave a review on iTunes, but you can. Um, And you don't have to necessarily share on Facebook, but you can. Um, Or if you're like us and you just use like Google Plus, then you can share that way too. Or you can just email. But if you tell a friend about Money in the Bank, or if you leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher or anywhere our podcast is, which is a lot of places, um, you will be entered to win the giveaway. And I won't reveal the prize just yet. We'll review that a couple episodes out. So we make this kind of like a fun series. But you, let me tell you right now, you do want to be entered. This will be something really amazing. So Brett doesn't even know what it is yet. That's right. The anticipation is killing me. Um, but yeah, so anyways, that'll, that, that's something kind of exciting. But going back to what I was saying, this um, week's episode will be vocabulary words. Um, you know, we started this podcast to be a podcast for the average Joe, and to really help the average Joe feel comfortable with finances. And some of the questions I've been getting, I realize we kind of, I'm a huge financial nerd, and you can rein me in pretty well, Brett, but sometimes it's not good enough. 
And I think we got a little too complex in some of our episodes. So I just want to go back to the basics and kind of define some of these terms that we've been throwing around. Yeah, and we have seen our audience grow quite substantially um, over the last couple months as well. So we're just going to circle back and make sure everybody's on the same page with some of the some of the things we've been talking about. And when they're going back and listening to some of these other podcasts, that they can pick up those lessons really quickly. So this is kind of a special episode in that regard. But you probably thought I forgot. Are you ready for your trivia question? Oh, come on. Okay. Two minutes in and still have to do this? Four minutes in, still have to do it. Um, What is the 30 year mortgage rate as of today? Uh, 5%. 4.625. So you're pretty close. All right. I'm giving, yeah. it's it's almost going to be 5% here in the next uh, couple months. Yeah, it keeps going up. So if you guys are on the fence about getting a house or refinancing, do it now. The rates are likely going up, but who really knows? Um, all right, so ready for vocab? All right, what do we got on the list? So we're going to start with some retirement account terms, because I feel like those are pretty relevant to anybody listening. Um, do you know what a 401k is? Yep, so that's a government program established, uh, I don't know what year, right, for people to be able to deposit into a tax-deferred account of some form, right? There's different versions of 401ks now, Um, but uh, it's it's set up through so you can deposit money um, in a safe way and safeguarded, and right, it's been adopted by employers, and, you know, employers contribute to that uh, additional fund as well. I think those are all on top of the actual, like, government plan, right? Yeah, well, so the government plan that you're referring to is really just the government, the 401k itself is a tax section, you know, section 401k of the tax plan. Um, And it's basically just the government rule establishing the tax benefits. But to participate in a 401k, specifically, it has to be offered by your employer. Okay. Um, So it's a company-sponsored plan that has tax benefits by participating in that specific retirement structure and you can contribute up to eighteen thousand five hundred per year with an additional five thousand if you're over the age of 55. so that's quite a substantial amount of money that you can funnel into these accounts every year and reap tax benefits on them right so you should be ideally taking advantage of that if your employer is offering something in that standard yep all right so then the next one do you know what a 403B is? Uh, no, that's not that college fund, right? Nope, that's a 529. <laughs> um, so a 403B is basically, you can think of it, it's very, very, very similar to a 401k. In fact, almost identical, but just for like state employees. So like teachers, instead of having a 401k, they have a 403B. Okay. Otherwise, it's basically the same. It's just slightly different tax qualifications all right and that's like a a, an alternative like so alternative they would so they don't get a 401k offer as a state employee necessarily they would get this program instead correct so like if you're a teacher instead of having a 401k you have a 403b same instrument different name okay so as we're talking about this right if you're a teacher listening in you can equate that similarly correct so if we're ever talking about a 401k you can basically sub in 403b and it has almost all of the same rules um there might be some minor tweaks you know down kind of a couple levels but in general very similar accounts okay um all right what about an ira uh oh i used to know what that stood for too 
Um, individual retirement account. Right. So this is where this is what I started in high school, right? So I was able to personally contribute to this. It's not tied to an employer in any way. It's basically the um, individual's ability to prepare for retirement in a not necessarily a tax sheltered account. It um, is tax sheltered. Oh, it is. Okay. Um. So I actually think IRAs can be thought of as they are basically four hundred one ks, except not tied to your company. Okay. Otherwise, same rules, same regulations. The difference is for an IRA, if for the regular individual, you can only contribute fifty five hundred per year instead of the eighteen thousand you could do with a four hundred one k. The exception here that's kind of tricky is for people who have their own business entities can establish a SEP IRA, which then you can contribute like up to you know like fifty thousand dollars or something like that. The limits are much much higher. All right. So if you're if you own your own business, then you can treat that as your retirement account from your business. You have to form the proper entities, and it's a little more complicated than we need to get into on this episode. <laughs> um, but yeah, essentially, you can make that happen. Okay. Um, okay. So generally, you can kind of think of all of these accounts as performing a very similar service. You get tax benefits or you know tax preferable treatment on retirement accounts. All of these have subcategories that are Roth or traditional. So do you know kind of the difference between those two? Right. It's when the tax is taken out of the contribution, right? Mm -hmm. So one is upfront. So traditional is you pay the tax um, uh, later. So you put the money in now and you pay the tax when you withdraw it. And the Roth is when you pay the tax upfront and you, uh, you know, just get to take the money out without getting taxed uh, on the withdrawal. Correct. Um, and they both grow tax-free, which is right. a cool okay. thing to so know. So the, the interest gained while it's in that account. Well, the, that's not true, right? Isn't the isn't the money that you take out taxed on the withdrawal from the traditional IRA, including that interest? Correct, but it's not taxed every single year. So okay. um, you do get more of a benefit because you basically get this entire lump sum thrown in. No taxes are taken out. So... Instead of, you know, let's say you put $10,000 in and your tax rate is 20%. Instead of having, um, you know, that $10,000, let us say you earn $1,000 of interest that first year. Instead of only getting $800 of interest because, you know, they take 200 for taxes, they give you the full 1000 And then you pay the taxes way down the road, but you get all that compounding interest. Right. So, so like the next year you get the 10% on that full 1000 instead of just the 10% on the 800. Right. So versus like my bank account where my $2 of interest that I get every year right that is taxable. Correct. Uh, or on my mutual fund the, the thousands of dollars on the mutual fund every year that I've gained in interest are all taxable that year. Yeah. Um, right. So all the all the 401k money that is all all the interest gained on that is only taxable the day you draw it out. Right. So you get years of compound interest, which is obviously my favorite thing. Should we, I guess maybe we should define compound interest. Right. That's the, the golden term, right? Of the, if you my take any, anything away from any episode of any of our podcasts, it's that compound interest is the best possible thing for you. How would you explain compound interest to somebody who doesn't know what it is? So compound interest um, is money. When you put money in something and that money turns into more money. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess, you know, going back to my example, we had the $10,000. We got $1,000 because we had 10% interest. And then the next year, instead of just getting another $1,000, we get $1,100. Right. Because we earned $100 on the money that we earned the year before. So then you keep doing that and you keep earning money on 
the money that you gained. And it's just this like magical thing where before you know it, your money's doubled in value in 10 years. Right. And that's the, right. That single uh, philosophy is what takes people from poverty to, you know, rolling in the dough. Yeah. Right. The eighth wonder of the world. (laughs) <laughs> According to Albert Einstein, who yeah, you can argue with him. Yeah, if you have the ability to like just bank enough money away that you can start growing that compound interest and, and leaving that you know go for you know several years, that money will will change your life. Well, you know my favorite example, um, and this will be my only tangent, I promise. But when I was nineteen, I worked two summer jobs to save some money, and you know I was going to college and I was buying books, but I realized I had enough to throw you know, half of what I made that summer because I had two jobs into a mutual fund. And luckily I got it in, you know, when the market had crashed, um, I, I got it in at the low point, which was awesome. Um, and now that money has more than doubled. Um, and it, it honestly has only been, I guess, you know, eight years. Um, and I still haven't taken it out because now it's kind of like my child. <laughs> but, you know, it, it would be great because like, let's say I needed a car now. Um, I could buy a car with that money. And, you know, when I was putting it in when I was 19, it didn't feel like it was that significant. But it really turns into something. So right. You put a little little bit of money away when you're a younger person and it turns into a huge asset you yeah. know, for your future self. All right. Well, let's keep moving. So that's most of the retirement terms I wanted to talk about. Um, oh, actually, there's two more. So these ones are kind of weird ones that I feel like not everybody really hears. Um but there's sometimes benefits will be referred to as a defined contribution or a defined benefit plan. Have you ever heard of those before? Uh, not outside of looking at some benefits legal speak in my in yeah my, in my company's policy. Um, so basically, defined contribution is the four hundred one k or four hundred three b because essentially your company defines what they will contribute, right? So they'll say we will match up to six percent. Of what you put in. Okay. So they define the amount that they will fund that. Defined benefit is what we traditionally have called pensions in this country, um, which is they will define, you know, if you work here for 20 years, we will pay you X number of dollars per year in retirement. So they basically take on the risk of funding that to ensure that they can pay you, you know, $25,000 a year or, or whatever in your retirement. Okay. Um, where with the defined contribution you kind of take on the risk of making sure your retirement will be adequately funded year after year. Okay, so a contribution, they're just handing you the, they're handing over money. Yep. They're contributing money to you and with the benefit, they're basically taking on your retirement and are going to be providing you with retirement. Right. For, you know, for the rest of your life. And I will say, you know, it seems like defined benefits used to be way more popular. Pension plans were all the rage, oh, yeah. right? Yep. Um and now it's definitely a world of 401ks and defined contributions. And a lot of people think that's a negative thing. Um, It's actually really positive. You know, I used to do pension consulting and pensions, honestly, the benefits aren't really as rich as what people think, where if you just keep kind of keep your head down and you put 10% in your 401k and you get that 6% company match, you will actually have a better retirement. The problem is people don't do it. Or people, yeah, people try and get at that money. Yep. It's not locked away. It's not in a vault, like with a pension, right? Yep. Where somebody's just handing them a check every week um, once they get into their retirement so, age. Start early and don't touch it. That's our advice. Um, all right, well, moving on from retirements. So what about net worth? Do you know how to calculate your net worth? 
Uh, so there's a lot of factors in that, right? So it's basically all of the different assets you have, your house value minus your what you owe on the mortgage, right? Mm-hmm. So um, your cars, your all the bank accounts that you have, all the mutual funds that you have, investment accounts, um, all the money you have in your sock drawer, whatever that is, right? So it's the pooling of all of your assets. If you were to sell everything that you have, that's your your dollar amount that you would have. Correct. Uh, minus your liabilities. That's true. Yeah. So, so if you have debt or yeah, anything like that. Um, and you know, I always kind of think of this as, you know, I don't. I guess I don't place a value on like my TV because even though I could sell it, it's really hard to track that value over time, and it's a heavily depreciating asset, right? Mm-hmm. Like if people had TVs from the '80s and they were like, "Well, it was worth thousand dollars when I bought it," like they can't keep a thousand dollars on their balance sheet for thirty years. Um, so really, I look at my high-level accounts, my savings accounts, my um, retirement accounts, my h- house, um, and then like investment properties or anything like that, and I subtract off you know the debts that I have. Um, I don't generally count cars because I think that can skew the numbers for a lot of people because they are so rapidly depreciating that unless you update that value every six months, I think you're, you might be like, okay, well, I can just sell my car if I ever need the money to pay off my credit card or whatever. And then you, you go to sell your car two years later and it's worth half of <laughs> what it was, right? Um, so it's a really dangerous thing. I I tell people to only count your car if you plan on selling your car within the next month. Uh, right. Um, because otherwise you're holding on to it. You know, most people, they're holding on to cars for several years. Right. It's, so It's just a false inflation of your total valuation. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Um, but yeah, otherwise you completely nailed that. So good job. Um, so what about a savings rate then? Do you know kind of how to... Have you ever calculated a savings rate or like your savings heard of account, that? like the interest rate in your savings account? No. Um, so savings rate, when I'm using that, means how much percentage you are saving of your money every month or year. So, like an annual savings rate to me would be um, here's how much percentage I saved of my money a year, whether it's in a retirement account or whether it's in a mutual fund or whether it's in my savings account. Percentage of all the money that you, you earned, earned throughout mm-hmm. the year, of all the revenue that you worked for. Yeah. Okay. Um, why this is important is because there are many guidances out there that show like if your savings rate is, you know, X percentage, then you can retire in this many years. Um, so it's kind of really beneficial to look at that. But... It's kind of confusing because, you know, I look at my total savings rate. Some people, when they think of how much am I saving for retirement, only focus on their 401k number of I put in 10% to my 401k plan. But really, you should also be factoring in, you know, maybe you're putting 10% of savings in your 401k plan, but you're also really diligent about saving 10% of your take-home pay to fund your emergency fund. Well, when your emergency fund is full then that 10%, you're still saving it. So that should count too. Right. And emergency fund was something else we wanted to talk about too, right? Yep. So do you know what that is? Yeah, I've had an emergency fund forever now. As far as <laughs> long as I've been saving money, I've been trying to put it in a separate emergency So have fund. you had an emergency yet? Uh, No. 
That's good. I think we've we've borrowed money out of that account one time to buy, I think, a property. Our first, yeah. our first real estate property. But then we, that was because we had additional money coming in like two weeks later that was going to recover that anyway. Like yeah. It was, a, it was a very unique scenario where we pulled that out. But otherwise, the recommendation is to never, ever pull that out um, to keep it for the rainy day. And sorry, so the rules around emergency fund are uh, you want to be able to recover uh, if you lose your job or, you know, you have a, a hardship of some kind, or a, tra- a travesty, um, you have the ability to continue living, you know, for a certain amount of time, usually in the like the six month uh, to nine month ballpark. Um, so you can just take on unexpected events in your life. Yep. So I recommend people that I recommend most people that they start with getting 500 to a thousand dollars in an emergency fund, which I fully understand that when you're starting your financial journey, that is a lot of work to get that much money saved up. But having that $500 to $1,000 buffer means that if your car breaks down or if you blow a tire, you can kind of like face those challenges without being set back. Where if you're trying to get ahead and then you're like, oh, but my tire blew this month or, you know, I had a leaky faucet or something, those things otherwise really set you back. But by having that cushion, you can absorb some of those fluctuations in life that we all deal with, right? Like, I don't think anybody who has a monthly budget is has it perfect every month because we all have things come up, right? Like our, you know, for us, our car insurance is due once a year and we have to pay that $1,000 at one point, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so by building up a fund like that, then you can kind of get these deals, right? Because we pay a lot less for our car insurance because we pay it once a year instead of monthly. Um, so by getting to that 500 or $1,000 point, you can absorb a lot of these fluctuations, which is really good. Um, and then once you get it to that point, I recommend continuing to fund it until you get to your desired comfort level, which for a lot of people is about six months of expenses. Yep. So good. Um, all right. So moving on to some more fun terms. Now, if you're borrowing money or if you have a credit card, you might have heard of APR or APY. Do you know what those are and why they might be different from each other? Yeah, so I think the, the term for APY, which is annual percent yield, right, mm-hmm. um, is very commonly found on any anything that has an interest rate attached to it. That's what the first number that you see. And it's the I think the difference between APY and APR is how they calculate that rate and, mm-hmm. and when that, when the, rate is applied to you or when the math is calculated yep. on that rate and when the interest is compounded. So which which one is which? Yeah, so APR is annual percentage rate and that is the simple interest rate that is just it basically goes from point to point like December to December or yeah, January to December like it's one year of interest. So that for example might be 5%. But then your APY is the actual interest rate. So for homes, for example, for a mortgage, we don't just pay our mortgage once a year and have the interest calculated one time. We pay it monthly and the interest is calculated every month. So there's a little bit of compounding going on. So that same 5% APR would be a APY of 5.11%. Right, so big difference. So sometimes you'll see APR rates. I think car dealerships are probably the most guilty at this point of doing it, but I think legally most companies have to report APY now because there's been a lot of backlash in the past years. Um, But sometimes if you... 
I just want to, you know, remind people of this because if you're trying to compare apples to apples and let's say you're shopping for a car loan and you get a rate from a credit union and you get a rate from a car dealer and one seems slightly lower than the other, just check to make sure they're reporting on the same basis. Mm -hmm. Um, And in general, just ask people for the APY rate and then you're comparing apples to apples. Right. Um, All right. So kind of moving on to the next topic and furthering our talk of compound interest. Um, so what about an index fund versus a mutual fund? This is a tricky one. Uh, so I'm pretty sure they're the same. Yeah. Well, maybe. Well, it's kind of, I think of it as a square and a rectangle. Okay. Yeah. So the index fund is the square and the mutual fund is the rectangle. So for those of you that did not do well in geometry, um, a square is a rectangle, but a rectangle is not a square. Necessarily, yeah. (laughs) Right. So basically what I mean by that is an index fund is a mutual fund, but a mutual fund may not be an index fund. Mm -hmm. So a mutual fund is a collection of stocks that help you diversify so that you don't have to buy individual stocks, which we never recommend here on this podcast because that's how people lost their butts in 2008, right? Yep. So instead, I recommend buying mutual funds But when you buy a mutual fund, you might buy one that is actively or passively managed. Now, what I mean by this is, for example, most people have heard of Warren Buffett. He has a range of mutual funds that he manages. So you pay a little bit more to get somebody doing all of that trading for you each and every day. Right. They're looking at all the numbers of all the time. They're, you know, they're basically trying to time the market or they're looking at current situations around the globe and, uh, you know, tensions and policies and, you know, anything that might impact like the financial markets in any way. They're trying to they're trying to play that system and make it work for you. Exactly. Passively managed is more when they're like, here's our plan. Here's the funds we're going to have. And we're just going to leave it, maybe we'll review it once a year, right? They set up some type of timeline. Index funds take that one step further and they're ultra passive by picking an index like the S&P 500, for example, and just purchasing the funds in that composed the S&P 500 and calling it a day. So the index funds typically have the lowest expense ratios, which we will cover that vocab word in a minute, Um, because they don't have to pay the staff of people to be constantly keeping up with things. So the logical question is, which one is better? Well, there are certain funds, looking at you, Mr. Buffett, um, that have consistently performed better in time. But I always say, like, the historic performance isn't necessarily an indication of future performance, because Warren Buffett could wake up tomorrow and make some really bad decisions. Um, So an index fund you're going to be very well diversified and you're going to pay very low fees. So I know we have index funds. We've had a good experience with them. And we also have some passively managed funds and some actively managed funds. Um, they can all be part of a very well diversified portfolio. Yep. So so moving on to the expense ratio, which is a confusing one. This is the stupid one that I got tricked <laughs> on like 25 episodes ago where it's not a ratio at all. It's a it's a fee. You didn't have to admit that. We have some new <laughs> listeners that wouldn't have known that you got that wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you so do you want to talk about what an expense ratio is? It's a fee. It's just the stupid fee. It's a flat fee on the trading of any stocks or investment funds. It is. It is your annual fee. 
Um, so you pay that fee, you know, every year or every month, depending on when it's taken out. I always tell people to look for a very low expense ratio. I don't think we have any in our portfolio that are over a percent for sure, and I think most of them are well under half a percent. Um, my favorite fund of ours is actually a tenth of a percent. So that's pretty awesome. That's really low, right? right yeah. You don't even notice that. Yeah, so. As far as a ratio goes, yeah, that's a great ratio. <laughs> Because it's not a ratio. Because <laughs> it's a fee. I know. Um, but in talking about mutual funds, some of them also have front-end loads. Do you know what that is? Uh, just fees up front? Is that yep. a fixed cost? Like for Yeah, so typically it'll be a percentage, like you know, maybe 2 to 5% up front. So when you put the money in, they'll take that off right off the top. But then it goes into a mutual fund like normal. Um if you're going to pay one of these two, I actually recommend paying the front end fees because then it's taken care of in the beginning versus there's also back end loads, which are when you withdraw, when you withdraw. But then that is really a bummer because then they get some of your compound interest. Right. So the front end load, at least like once it's over, you get all of your compound interest. And like, I don't want to share my <laughs> compound interest. So... All right. Well, that was most of my vocab words for today. Did you have any anything to add or any other questions about any of that? Um, I think we're. I think that was most of it. I mean, those are. That's a lot of terms to consume. So that is a lot. So you if know, we, again, if we think of any more, we can save another educational podcast session for the next. Yeah. On the road, or if anybody has any other terms that they've been confused by, you know, we'll we'll do another kind of one of these episodes in the future if people have any. Any feedback? Yeah, I was going to throw the ball kind of in the um, listeners' courts. And if any of these terms are still confusing to you, or if you want more explanation about anything, or if we said anything today and didn't define it, because I'm sure maybe in some of my explanations I did that, let me know. I'm happy to do another one of these episodes and break down some more of these complex terms. Outside of that, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes or share... Um, with your friends on Facebook or email or whatever platform is for you. You can even text. And if you screenshot me a picture of your review or you know you sharing our podcast with somebody, you will be entered into our drawing for our 50th episode, which is coming up in just a you know two months here. So. And email is the best way to, to send that screenshot in or something. Yep, email is the best way. And it's just Angie at moneyinthebankpodcast.com. Yep, and you can find that on the website as well for moneyinthebankpodcast.com. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you. Hey, guys. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Money in the Bank. Make sure to subscribe to us on the iTunes or Stitcher app so that you get weekly alerts every time we post a podcast. Or if you want, you can visit my website, moneyinthebankpodcast.com. And if you want to reach out with any questions or further comments, please email me at angie at moneyinthebankpodcast.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Money in the bank.